I don't, I don't really think I can claim sort of the, uh, the invention of this, you know, professor gave me the parts of the model and the glue and the instructions and I just sort of, you know, constructed it, but uh, anyway. Um, okay, so we're going to cover six things quite, uh, quite quickly. Um, and if there's anything that's sort of not understood, you know, just give me, just, just put your hand up and uh, we'll get the questions answered. So, we've been talking about arbitrage. And how it underpins all economic activity. And you can, you can divide that further into two subsets. Not necessarily distinct, but uh, two different subsets. So spatial and temporal. And, you know, don't let the, those two words let, uh, let you lose interest quite yet. So uh, <laughs> I'll give examples. So, Spatial, an example of a spatial arbitrage um, would be um, buying a uh, depository seat in New York uh, for, let's say, 20 and selling the same in London for 20 and a half, say. So there are many stocks which have dual listings on different exchanges and if you notice a big enough discrepancy between the two, uh, you, can, uh, you can take that spread and as long as the stocks are sort of fungible, you can get uh, a profit of half, say. So that's an example of a spatial arbitrage. Um, but there's also the other subset, which is temporal arbitrage. And temporal arbitrage is arbitrage across time. And this is where the, uh, the process of carrying... Oh, thank you. May we switch up to that? Because... Okay. example of this, carrying something. So, an example of carrying something is buying inventory of a good and selling it forward, on a forward market or on a futures market. Uh, so, example... Well, if you sell it, you're not carrying it. You're carrying it if you keep it and sell it at the end of the period. Yeah, so you, you, you buy the inventory and you sell a future. Or sell a forward contract. Or carry it yourself. Physically. Yeah, yeah. You physically carry it. So you have a warehouse. Well, no. Let's not start off with a warehouse. Say an oil tanker, <coughs> which is a warehouse, I suppose. 
So buying crude oil physical at say $75 and selling three months forward for $80. Okay. When, when is the $80 payable? Now or at the time of delivery? At the time of delivery, in three months' time. Regardless, whatever the price is there, yeah. is it is then, yeah. the price is now fixed, but it's only payable on delivery. It's only payable on delivery. So you have a profit, a gross profit, in this trade of five dollars, payable in three months. What would you have to take out of that gross profit though? Obviously you don't get a full five dollars. Storage costs. Storage costs. Storage. Okay. And interest. And interest. Well, it's, it's, it's actually less carrying cost. And that, that, include, that includes interest. So interest <coughs> and storage. Now the reason that interest is included in there because is, is because there is a, an opportunity cost, you know, of doing this. I'm not going to uh, buy crude oil and sell it forward uh, for a rate less than the interest rate, otherwise I would just put it uh, in the bank on deposit. So interest is always implicit in the carrying cost. And the insurance as well. Yeah, and storage and insurance. What's exactly the convenience yield in this context? Hold on, hold on, that's... What, what's convenience yield? <laughs> so, does it fit in here? Okay, then forget it. It does, it does. That's, that's not uh, at this stage yet, though. Okay. okay. Um, so is this all clear so far? This is all quite clear. It's not that difficult. Um, sorry. What kind of insurance or who is... Um, so, for example, if you're buying 100 barrels of crude at 75, then you have to insure that, and you're storing it in an oil tanker, you have to pay insurance, you know, in case your oil tanker blows up or something, and you can't make delivery in three months' time. You know, you can't just have a warehouse, buy a good, sell it forward because someone could come and steal the, uh, the merchandise. So that's the insurance part of the, uh, the exercise, just like in real bills. It's not really, it's not really a moving factor in this thing, it's just uh, an addendum. Um, so is that clear? Okay, you can do this, you can buy spot, sell forward, and you get a, you sometimes get a premium for it, and sometimes you don't. So. Spatial, temporal, <coughs> and carrying a good. Now, 
If you're carrying a good, do you have any uh, exposure to the price, as it were? No. It's locked in. It's locked in, yeah. So even though you're carrying it, it implies that you have some kind of exposure to it. You don't in this, in this, in my definition, in our definition. Okay. Convenience yield. What's going to say has to do with temporal? Yes. Right? Yes. Not spatial. Not Convenience yield is a, is a, it's a stupid name for it anyway. I mean, there's nothing convenient about it, as far, but we'll define that later. It's to do, when we talk about gold lease rates, that's when we introduce the concept of uh, convenience yield. Okay. So, what does carrying a good mean? What, you know, how easy is it to carry... Okay, let's name some, let's name some uh, producer goods here. Okay, oil, copper, natural gas, uranium, wheat, yeah, grains, It's, 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 it's the same exercise to carry all of these commodities. Which is, it the, which is the easiest, or which are the easiest, you would think, to carry? Platinum. Platinum. Followed by? Silver. Followed by? Silver. <coughs> Copper. Copper. Wheat. Wheat. Uranium. I don't, actually, yeah, okay. That's a tricky This is debatable. <laughs> I don't think you can just have a warehouse and put uranium in it, you know, but <laughs> you need to have a special warehouse. <laughs> so these we'll just put all in sort of, uh, we'll put these all in fifth place equal. Okay. Uh, but the point is that it's easier to carry some goods than it is other goods. You know, you have to be very specialist in order to carry oil, natural gas and uranium. You don't need to be that specialist in order to carry copper, wheat, silver or platinum. You know. Basically for those, you just need an empty room. You know. That's all you need. Okay, so ease, ease of carrying is an important consideration. Okay. So the point about it is that with the stuff that is easiest to carry, would you expect there to be much of a premium to carry it? No. No. Okay. Okay. So now we move on to the concept of stocks to flow. Now, does anyone know what this, this concept means? Is it familiar to anyone? Okay. 
basically stocks to flow is the ratio of inventory and I'll define that in a moment to annual primary production now um, <clears throat> when you talk about inventory you should really say immediately marketable inventory immediately marketable inventory now gold is unique in this sense gold and silver are unique in this sense because when you uh, when you mine copper for example all of that copper that is mined is still there you know it's still there in the world the point is though that marketable copper in where LME warehouses is a very small fraction of the total amount of copper that has been produced since the year dot. So this kind of copper here, the least marketable, you know, this is sort of marketability I suppose. This would be copper in telephones, you know, houses, I don't know, cars, uh, electrical wire. Well, they have been consumed. They've been consumed, but they still have an order of marketability. It's easier to extract copper from <coughs> electrical wire than it is to extract copper from your house or your car, you know. So you come closer and closer and closer until you, let's say, come to um, one of those things on the road called, you know, manhole covers. Yeah, manhole covers. But those are in cast iron. Yeah. Well, they're in... Not copper. Below the cast iron cover, there's a, a wire. Oh, they're, 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 they're copper in the UK. They're also copper. Yeah. Yeah, they're copper in the UK. Well, they used to be. Used to be like before they stole it. So the point is that you come from less marketable to more marketable, you know, to the to the most ultimately marketable, which is copper in storage in LME in LME warehouses. Now, if you compare that to gold, there is no distinction here. Because to get from the least marketable, well, the least marketable, as it were, item for, for gold is gold jewellery. But it's very, very easy to make gold jewellery into uh, 400 ounce bars. Well, there are gold wires, but probably not many, so... Okay, so it's... it's, it's to get from copper and telephones to LME warehouse copper is a very laborious, arduous exercise. You know, it will cost a hell of a lot. You know, and it's not likely to come to market unless copper goes to a million dollars a ton or something like that. 
then people like Mr. Butler will be proved very, very wrong in their sort of assessment of all of this consumed silver, because silver will come, come out of nowhere. Okay, so it's not consumed. You know, none of these metals are actually consumed, as it were. You know, they're all there in varying degrees of marketability. But gold, the difference, as it were, is, is, is negligible. Okay? So when you compare stocks to flow, you look at the annual production So production, primary production. What would you like to emphasize with primary production? Primary is in fresh, you know, as in supply that's not coming from scrap or recycled. Um, so when you look at this ratio, okay, there is no point in looking at just the stock of 400 ounce bars compared to production for gold. You should look at the total amount of gold that exists on planet Earth as the, as the most as the marketable set of gold. But you can't do the same with our friend copper here. Okay, so is this distinction clear? Yes. And is it also clear that it puts a hole in people like Butler's sort of you know consumption of silver type thing? You know, it's a load of rubbish. Okay. At the right price, it's all available. At the right price, it's all available. You know, if, it, if, if, if copper goes to a million tons, you know, copper will come out of telephones, it will come out of computers which are just sitting in the rubbish tip at the moment. You know, people will go and search for yeah. them, you know, make a minuscule margin or whatever, but they will do it, you know. No question. Okay? So now we have to arrange all commodities by uh, this mapping, which is the stocks to flow ratio. Mm. I just need to refer to a chart that really comes in. Okay, so does anyone know what the stocks to flow ratio for gold is? So the amount of gold that is already there versus annual production of gold, primary production of gold. Does anyone? Rudy? <laughs> okay, it's very high, it's very high. You know, 50, you know, 60, you know, 90, you know, whatever it is, it's bloody high. Okay. Years. Many decades. Many, many decades. <coughs> what do you mean by decades? Until it doubles or what? No, no, no. Yeah, go on, Philip. Until were um, mine supply, primary supply to cease, it would take that long before supplies were exhausted. Well, just the other way, if, you, if there was, it would take 80 years at the current rate of addition to double this, or to reach that much stock, 160,000 times. Double it, yeah. You know, because exhausted, you don't consume yeah, if you're going the other way, sure. that's consumption yeah. of gold, and that may not be the same as primary production. Perhaps, okay. probably not. Until it doubles. So, so the mine supply is around 2,500 tons per year, which comes to, I don't know, 1.5 to 2% of the total stock. 
And the number is a little bit flexible. That's why he said 60, 90. Yeah. But the point being, there's orders of magnitude difference between the other ones. So whether it's 60 or 90, it doesn't really matter. Okay. Okay. So bearing in mind what I just talked about in terms of marketability, you know, with silver, you know, Mr. Barber says there's only a thousand, a thousand tons or whatever. I can't remember in inventory. You know, he says there's a minuscule amount of silver in inventory, but again, he's only looking at the at the bottom end, as it were, you know, which doesn't really apply to silver. So silver is up there as well, you know. Maybe not as much as gold, you know, it depends upon, you know, total silver estimates and whatnot. There's another thing coming into it, is the willingness of people to hoard these things. Yes. Because uh, it would take a fool to hoard copper. Yeah. Because of the decline in marginal utility. Yeah. Yeah. But it makes a lot of sense to hoard gold and silver. Yeah. So, and, and we don't know how much silver is being hoarded. No, no, no. no. This is not in the public domain. Not in the public domain. Only yeah. very poor estimates of this. Yeah. But we do know how much oil there is mm -hmm. available for the market for immediate delivery. So it is for platinum and copper, mm -hmm. most of the other. Yeah, the, so, so when you so group these monetary metals, the next one, it's either copper or crude, which is a rudy. Um, well, these tend to vary a bit. Yeah. You know, copper does vary a little more than crude. Yeah. There's a chart here that Rudy's done, I'll pass this around. Um, but basically, the monetary metals stick out like a sore thumb. It's not like, you know, you have, you know, just minor variations and gold just happens to be greater by a marginal amount. It's as if they were divinely chosen. So, stocks to flow. And it's important point on platinum is definitely platinum. Not, not a monetary Platinum is not a monetary metal at all. Okay, the total stock of platinum uh, or palladium. and palladium, you know, these are in, again in the months versus annual production. Okay, now when you stocks to flow derives, it's it's a, it's a function, it's a derivation of the substance's marginal utility. Okay, so this proves that gold and silver have more or less constant marginal utility. For, for, were that not to be the case, then you wouldn't see this. They would be like that. Okay? So it's proved. It's proved by observation that gold and silver have constant marginal utility. Okay? Um, and platinum, which people think is a monetary metal, is not. You know, with only three months stocks to flow ratio out there, okay, People think, okay, platinum will always, platinum is more expensive than gold because it's rarer than gold, okay? And people think, yeah, that sounds sane, you know, that's why platinum's twice the price of gold. Then why did platinum go to 80% the price of gold at the height of the crisis? It wasn't as if it suddenly became more abundant than gold. You know, there must have been another mechanism there, and the mechanism was its marginal utility as evidenced by its stocks to flow ratio. Okay? So is that all clear? Sure. Good.
just add one thing to that sentence? Yeah. Platinum is pretty useful. Mm -hmm. Palladium is pretty useful. And yet, there's hardly anything that wrong. So, it's not the industrial use or the utilitarian use that drives the price of gold. Gold is very little bit of it is used for industrial purposes. Its monetary value drives its price. And, and that's why, because it's money and it's at the lowest, slowest decline in marginal utility, that's why it's hoarded. And it's been hoarded for a thousand years. And no other metal can ever possibly catch up because if, so, you know, just this hoard of gold is growing every year by one and a half, two percent. So I don't see it would take 80 years minimum. That what 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 uh, Philip said? If they stop mining gold, that supply would still be there. And if let's say they decided to hoard platinum, well, it would take 80 years to match that ratio. Not necessarily total quantity, but the ratio. 80 years of mine supply of mine supply is the total available. I would go even further than that because there is no danger that platinum at one point will overtake gold because it took 5,000 years or longer to pile to build up that stockpile of gold. So how long will it take to build up a matching stockpile of platinum before you can even consider the question? But the platinum can become uh, monitored. So there is really no competition for gold as a monetary method. Uh, silver is uh, a, a second one. It, it, uh, you know, the, the industrial applications of silver show that silver is a halfway house between a fully fledged monetary metal and an industrial metal. But uh, really there is no danger that the uh, world will ever be challenged as a monetary metal. Another thing, when silver was money, was known to be money, the silver-gold ratio was around 15 to 1. Now that silver is known to be more of an industrial metal, it's 50, 60 to 1. So where is the value of silver line? And will it come back? Well, if people consider it to be money again, yeah, it will come back. Otherwise, no. Well, I can, under gold standards, derive the rate of inflation from the stock-to-flow uh, ratio of uh, gold. Is it true? Mm, not well. No. I think it has to do with that yeah. because, because yeah. Uh, you know, if the gold, the output from gold mines doubles from one year to the other for any reason. Mm -hmm. The stock to flow ratio will change, but only marginally. Go from one to what two percent or something, or one to one and a half. Implicitly, yeah, okay. <coughs> you know, but the point is that inflation. If you define inflation as increasing the amount of gold, I which I wouldn't. No, but that doesn't necessarily, inflation, you still have to consider it a basket of prices. Just because the amount of gold is increasing like that doesn't mean that prices will increase linearly yeah, with it. But um, and in my knowledge, the Austrian definition of inflation is increase of money supply. So if gold supply increases, then that's increasing. Really? That's, that's going to be part of my topic. The peak of the um, quantity of money theory, and if if we believe, and I'm going to talk about this a lot more, that the marginal utility of money does not decline, then the supply of money has no effect on its price or its purchase power. Uh, put it into your 
supply-demand curve, and, and if the demand is horizontal, what's the result? Ed Rudy will be going into this in a lot of detail, you know, later on. But this is that's a side topic. That's but yeah, the inflation. If you want to define that as the rate of increase in gold, it will never go to ten percent. You know. Okay. Okay. Right. So now we move on to the configuration of the carry. Okay. Now I'm going to define carry in a rather simple manner at the moment as the difference between uh, uh, the uh, future price whichever future price take the near term future price uh, minus the cash price It's just a spread. It's a spread. It's the profitability spread for carrying the uh, for carrying the underlying good. Okay. Now, for 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 the monetary metals, the carry should always be positive. Okay. Um, Precisely because the large above the ground supply. Yeah. Relative to the flow. Relative to the flow. Because of the result of them having the highest stocks to flow ratio, they should always be configured with a positive carry. And the way that you uh, show that is by assuming uh, it, it's by assuming the opposite. So, what happens if it if it wasn't a positive carry? Okay, zero or negative. Okay. Okay, what would happen then? So if, if, if let's say spot silver is $19 and the next month future, the next, the, uh, the, the, the nearest future is $17, bearing in mind that it has an extremely high stocks to flow ratio. Should that ever be the case? No. No. Not, Why? Because there's so much silver that it would be taken away. Yes. You know, so some market treasuries would jump at the opportunity of mm. cashing in on that spread. Mm. You know, but let's say we saw spot oil at 75. And the next uh, NYMEX contract at 73. Well, this is perfectly possible, you know, because there's very little oil to begin in the first place. If an arbitrageur wanted to uh, profit from that, they would have to attack an inventory. They would have to have, you know, a fraction of this very small inventory of oil in order to enact that. So it might not be possible then for them to. Uh, to actually take that spread because there isn't there isn't enough oil as it were for and them the to do. cost of storage is much higher and the cost of storage much higher you know so backwardation in this set of goods is is perfectly possible 
you know. You'll have to explain what backwardation is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a carry being zero or negative is defined as being in backwardation. Okay? Um, and a carry being positive, strictly positive, is defined as contango. So I'll write it down. Okay. So carry contango. These are definitions. We can debate about less than or equal to, but uh, okay. So that's that, that. Those are two definitions: carry being greater than zero equals contango, carry being less than zero equals backwardation. And a market in a backwardated state indicates, you know, extreme extreme demand for the underlying uh, physical good. The physical good. And a shortage of it. Okay. So theoretically, theoretically, the variation in the carry for these should be much less than the variations in the carries for these, and that's a function of how the substances exist in terms of their marginal utility, which is expressed by their stocks to flow ratio. Well, in reality, it does, doesn't it? In, in reality, well, we're going to that. Okay. Uh, in reality, yes, these the, the the carries of all of these do move a lot more than the uh, the carrier yeah. the carrier gold and silver. Okay. So the message I want to make clear here is that the monetary metals should never really be in a backwardated state. Otherwise, it would contradict the fact that they, you know, that they there would be something else to the picture that, that, that was sort of, you know, questioning their stocks to flow ratio, as it were, you know, which you can't really question. So there's another facet there. Now here is where we go take the step up a little. Uh, so that was all, that was all quite uh, friendly. <laughs> so one short question. Yeah. Uh, would you agree um, the interpretation, say, live, live by the monetary metals with non-commodity futures, that uh, one also could say if the future is in contango, there are more speculators in the market, and if it's in backwardation, there are more hedges in the market? Uh, you can't really say that. I mean, well, you see, there's a whole big, uh, another story from the agricultural future, contango and backwardation. Uh, uh, vary with the season, mm. so uh, you cannot generalize. I don't think you can. No, it, it's hard. To, it's hard to say that. All right. Yes. You know, if you saw gold shooting up fifty-five dollars in one day, and you saw the carry rising with it, then you could assume that there is an element of that. You know, speculators coming into the market. But it's not the fact that it's in contango. It's the fact that it's changing more into contango that matters, mm -hmm. not the fact that it's in contango. Yeah, neither does gold, but yeah. No, but it's, generally it's not really valid because, you know, those commodities could go into backwardation or contango for other reasons, you know. 
I mean, if, I, if, if wheat was in backwardation and I, and I suddenly found, you know, 10 million tons of wheat from somewhere, then it would go into contango, you know, as soon as I started selling cash wheat onto the market, you know, so... So then you would hedge? Uh, I mean... Well, you, you, no, but the point is, though, that, that it, it moving into contango is not a facet of more speculators coming into the market, oh. which is what you said, you know, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say, okay. so it's not... It, yeah, it, it, you can't say that at all times, uh, but in some times you can. Okay, so we know from uh, Dr. Menga that uh, there are two prices a bid. Professor Menga. A bid and an ask. But looking at the, uh, the carry, and just saying that there is a carry for a commodity, it's just like saying that there is one price for a good. You know, there is not... There is not just one price for a good. It depends on whether you're a buyer or a seller. You know, so we have an analogy here, okay? And it's called the uh, the carry premium and the de carry premium. Okay. Uh, and this is good price. So this is uh, warehousing, I say. <coughs> okay. Now, the way that you have to think about this is as follows. Okay, I won't draw this. That's, that's just an say spot, spot copper. is 256, 257, and near month is uh, two, 250, 259, 260. This is the bid on spot copper. This is the ask on spot copper, and this is the bid on near month copper, and this is the ask on the future copper. So if you're going to carry a good, as in you have your warehouse, you want to buy the spot commodity, you want to sell the near month, and you want to attack that spread, what do you look at? Okay, You look at the difference between these two, because these are the prices at which you actually... The long and the short line. Yeah. So when you're, when you're enacting your warehousing, the long leg of it, as it were, <coughs> you look at the bid on the futures minus the ask on the spot market. And that is equal to 259 minus 257, $2. Okay. Now, let's say I've done that. Call this the long leg. 
I've got my warehouse full of copper. And uh, if I hold it to expiry, I will get uh, a $2 premium less my, uh, less my um, total costs, carrying costs. Okay. Now, what if uh, I suddenly need to unwind the position as soon as I put it on because, you know, I need the warehouse for something else? What do you refer to? Uh, what do you refer to for that? Okay, well, the short leg we call this, or you can call it, enact warehousing, whatever the opposite of enact is, I don't know. Uh, but we call this D carrying. Okay. And for that, you look at the, the cost, as it were, to unwind your carry. And usually it will be a cost. You know, it's not a, it's a, you're not given money to unwind a carry, usually. Okay. So the cost is, well, uh, I, uh, I bought... I bought the spot, so I need to I need to sell the spot at the bid, and I need to buy back the future at the uh, at the offer at the ask. Okay, so that's equal to two fifty six minus two sixty minus four dollars. Okay, so here we have the analogy with the bid and the offer for the price of a good. This is the analogy for warehousing. It is the carry and the decarry. And these two premiums, this is determined by the marginal carrier, as it were, and this is determined by the marginal carrier, as it were. Now, uh, we don't have the time to go through the proper, I can send a paper to people who are interested in that, but there is an exact one-to-one -one correspondence between uh, prices um, and carries and decarries. The only, the only thing that isn't applicable here is, is there is no market maker as such, you know, um, in, in this in between these two who are taxing, you know. Okay, so we have this concept, carry and decarry, and it's analogous to bid and offer. Is that all clear? Fairly clear? Okay, good. axioms that are based on based on this okay axiom one states that a positive 
and rising carry and remember carry has a specific definition now okay it's the uh, it's the difference between the bid on the futures minus the asked on the spot price a positive and rising carry will for sure lead to a state of increasing warehouse stocks. Why? Okay, the reason is, okay, is because out of the set of people who are willing to carry this particular good, they each have, okay, so, you know, there's a set of people, and these are the sets of people who wish to carry copper. They may or might, they might, they may uh, already be carrying copper, they might not be, you know, but the, this is a set of people who are willing to carry copper, and they might be doing it currently, they might not, okay? So each of them has a threshold, a threshold at which they will uh, at which they will carry copper. You know, Philip is a warehouseman, and he says, "Well, I don't really want to carry copper unless the carry is is, is over, you know, a dollar." You know, and Rudy's a warehouseman, and he says, "Well, I'll be willing to carry." I'll be willing to carry copper for 80 cents, you know. If the, if the, if, if, if the carry is, is positive, and you don't even need to include the positive part, but that comes in later on. But if it's rising, everyone's threshold will be hit. And if it keeps on rising, everyone's threshold will eventually be hit. And so if everyone's threshold is eventually hit, you will find that warehouse stocks will start to increase. Okay, so it's not nothing to do with the fact that it's positive, it's to do with the fact that it's rising that you can say that this will be the case. Okay, and this is analogous to uh, declining interest rates, destroying capital. You know, you can make a correspondence here. I'm not going to do it now, that's done in the paper, the professional paper. Okay, but everybody's threshold is eventually hit. Okay, so this is true. This is, this is a safe axiom in my view, a very safe axiom. So now, axiom two, let's spell it, axiom two. You don't need to write all of this down, I can send it later on. A negative and Falling D carry will for sure lead to a state of what warehouses? If that a state of increasing warehouse stocks, it will lead to a state of decreasing. 
And again, I'm not going to bother. You can make the similar threshold argument here as well. Okay. So is that clear? Really? Put it into terms of profitability, I guess. I'm asking one of profitability of warehousing is increasing, mm. angles increasing, mm. in effect. And of course, that's accountability for the growth of the cantangle. All mm. those guys. Yes. Yes, exactly. So each time you enact, you know, it passes the threshold and you take it, you know, it has the effect of doing that. So if it keeps on increasing even after all of you are taking it, okay, you know that there is going to be a, uh, <laughs> there is going to be a glut, you know, there is going to be a glut somewhere. And so the second one is basically the opposite. It's the opposite. So if you're profitable, you're storing this stuff, is dropping, dropping, get the heck out of it, mm -hmm. that will bring stocks into the market and reduce the backwardation. Mm -hmm. Now, in this thing, you're limited by the size of your warehouse. And in this thing, you're limited by how much you have of it in, in inventory in the first place. I think a good example is what happened last year with, with oil. Yes. Everybody yeah. knew this super container situation, what they were calling it in, in oil. Yeah. Made the, the uh, what's it called, the, the ships, mm. the tankers standing around everywhere in front of the, the harbors. Yeah, in summer 2008, oil was in a, just before, well, prior to summer 2008, the contango in oil wasn't really there, whichever maturities you looked at, and then suddenly it went like that, you know, and started to, to jump massively, and this was, a, was a, a facet of, you know, declining demand for, for spot oil. You know, so if it's not being if it's not being used, it has to be stored, and the premium for storage just goes through the roof, basically. And there was a very I remember I was having lunch with a senior economist at the Bank of Montreal, and he said that as soon as oil goes into a shark contango, uh, that's when we're going to go into hyperinflation. <laughs> and he started to uh, started to come up with all kinds of reasons as to why that was, and I just thought, you know, in a room full of 50 people, no one is questioning this idiocy, you know. So I thought, you know, there is going to be a big, big crash in the oil price, and there was, you know. And then everyone thought, oh, they're building all of these oil tankers, you know, to, to, to scoop up cheap oil. They're not, you know, people who build oil tankers do not speculate on the oil price. They were taking advantage of this huge carry, you know, which was 30% annualized at one point, you know. So that's the reason they were building ships, building oil tankers. It was to store the oil. They had no direct exposure to the oil price. They were just taking the carry. And 30%, even less all of your carrying costs, you know, because oil tankers are expensive things, they, they cost a lot to kid out with people and blah, blah, blah. Even after all of that, you probably would have still made, you know, 10 or 15%, you know, um, after all of your costs, which was much higher than LIBOR at the time, you know. Unfortunately, you know, it takes a lot of capital to buy uh, or to order a, uh, an oil tanker. Yeah, <laughs> which is why the banks are doing it, and then they're all full of oil in it as well. Yeah, and then you have to buy, you have to use the capital to buy the oil. <laughs> uh, but to store uh, copper and gold and all that, you know, it takes a lot less capital proportionately. Okay, 
So the important thing here is the axioms. The axioms. Sandy? Yeah. Did you, in your paper, define the set of uh, carriers and the uh, carriers who are at one point in view of your opportunity costs becoming marginal and therefore decarrying? Uh, no, I, I don't know who they are. I just know that they must exist. No, no, you don't have to identify them, yeah. but you can, you can formulate easily um, the axiom that, or the theorem that would define the point at which a carrier would become, in view of his opportunity costs, become a decarrier. Uh, well, no, all you can say is that they will do something if these are changing if the carry and the decarry are changing, you know. I can only say what they are likely to do from the movements in the market, really, not, not anything else, you know. I know that if the carry keeps on falling, this will eventually start rising, you know. But it may be a lag before the fall of this means that you have the rise of this, okay. So, you have the two axioms, and from that, axiom one could be happen happening, axiom two might not be happening, axiom two might be happening, axiom one might not be happening, and from that you get nine states. Okay, and it's, it's, it's a further refinement of backwardation and contango. Okay, so it's not as simple as backwardation and contango. It's positive and rising basis, you know, or negative and falling decarry, or negative and falling decarry and flat carry. And so when you go through all the permutations of this, which I don't, I'm not going to do here, uh, it's on the paper, you come up with nine states, and the market will always be in one of these, it will always be in one of these nine states. And the most bullish, as it were, is when you only have this axiom. And the least bullish is only when this axiom is true. Okay, so contango can be refined to, uh, uh, in definition to this. Not only is it positive, but it's positive and rising. It doesn't actually matter what, whether, what the absolute value is, it's only its rate of change actually. But that's going a bit further down the philosophical path. Okay. Um, and backwardation again, is defined not only by a negative basis, a negative uh, or a positive decarry, but a positive and rising decarry. Okay? So we've refined the concept further, okay? And uh, with it, we're implying that it's not the absolute values of the, of the carry and the decarry that matter. It's their variations that matter to the state of warehousing. So what are the intermediate seven states? Um, I, I, I give an example. Yeah, okay. Uh, so one of the states would be, uh, let's say, uh, 
You don't have one. So, okay, axiom one isn't true. Okay, so the carry is not positive or carry is not rising. Yeah. I think the choice of word axiom one and axiom two is not uh, very uh, appropriate. In this okay. Context. You have to find some another word. Another word. Okay. Because an axiom is never violated. If mm. it is violated, it's no longer an axiom. Mm -hmm. So it is. Uh, 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 what would be the best thing to call it then? Well, I'll think about it. Yeah. We we have to change these words. So this is, this is an example of one state, okay, the carry is not positive, okay, so if the carry is not positive, it's negative, <laughs> and uh, if it's not rising, or it's not rising, okay. Hypothesis. 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 Let's call it hypothesis. Hypothesis one and hypothesis two. So, if the carry is not positive, for example, or it's not rising, okay, so it could actually be positive or negative, uh, but if it's doing that or that, you know, then it, it, do, do you see what I mean? You know, because of the or, if hypothesis one is not happening, this and changes to an or, okay? So that's why I will pass the paper and, you know, you can read it for yourself, but I go through the construction of each of the nine states. I think it will honestly make everyone a bit, bit tired of it if I went through the construction of the nine states now. But there are nine states, and the ends are defined by the hypotheses. And the interims, as in the, the, the seven states in between, are defined by, you know, either hypothesis one happening uh, or not happening, and either hypothesis two happening or not happening, and from that you get another, another seven states, as it were. You still haven't defined the basis. Have you had one of those curves, the, uh, the, the, the two curves, the four curves? You started to draw them, remember that? Ah, uh, okay, yeah. Because that was put into the graphics yeah, for, yeah, for yeah, us yeah. non-mathematicians yeah. to make it easy to visualize what's yeah. happening. Okay. <laughs> I haven't defined the basis yet. Don't worry, it's not difficult. Uh, <laughs>
So, uh, what we define as the carry, this is the spot, and this is the future. Carry is 258 minus 257, and it equals $1 for X months. Now, annualize, first of all, no, okay, take it as a percentage. capital that you've committed, so the offer price which you paid of capital committed as it were, as evidenced by the R's. As a percentage of the capital committed, which is basically that one dollar as a percentage of two fifty-seven, okay. Annualize it. Well, then you have to say the future is say two months or one month. Yeah, for X months. Oh, X months. Yeah, okay. for X months. So annualize it. And I think you all know how to annualize something. Okay, so I'm not going to show you that. Uh, but basically, once you've annualized it, that is defined as the basis Okay? Simple? That's not difficult, is it? You know. Now, the D carry left hand D carry okay so someone tell me what the D carry is here the base uh, the bit here and the ask over there yeah use a color to yeah. draw it. can you see colors if I use color carry means that I have to buy back my future and, uh, and I have to uh, sell the spot. Okay? So it's 259 sorry, 256 minus 259 which equals minus 3 Join the two points on the Yeah. So when you're carrying
Okay, let's have a coffee break and then we'll still have about 15 minutes okay. for a few questions. questions if yeah. you want to round it up yeah. with your comments. Yeah. Okay, thank okay. you. Prediction 
best method to predict the coming of the collapse, which will be, which will be a cataclysmic event with no uh, parallel in all history. Why? Because it has never happened in history that all countries were uh, uh, running a paper money system. In the past, if a country ran a paper money system, this was always the exception, because the majority of the countries were still running a gold standard. Now, what we have is not a single country is running the gold standard. All countries are. By the way, this is uh, because of the U.S. Uh, United States government putting uh, pressure on other countries. I mean, I, I'm, I'm quite convinced if Switzerland was not put under pressure, diplomatic and uh, other kinds of pressure, even blackmail. Uh, then Switzerland would have, uh, you know, had gold standard. They had plenty of gold. They have, uh, Switzerland was the only country where the amount of money was covered by more gold than, uh, than in any other country. So they could have run a gold standard. But they were put under pressure and even to the extent of selling gold, the Swiss National Bank started selling gold as a scrap metal, yeah. which is just incredible what it showed. You know, they wouldn't have done it. I mean, they, are, they know better than that. But they were blackmailed, uh, I think, uh, uh, several occasions. Mm -hmm. Paul Walker, former chairman of the Federal Board was the guy who went to uh, Zurich and Bern and, and uh, put pressure on me that you know they will they will do everything to destroy the uh, good reputation of the Swiss banking system, you know, and, and all kinds of other dirty tricks. So anyhow, to make the long story short. Uh, this is the importance of that. So there is a reason why we are working on this and why you should make an effort to understand this. And uh, I let you take over. <laughs> so that's the reason why. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Can you just is it running out of battery? Yeah. Okay. Well, leave it on. It doesn't matter. So it's the basis with whatever substance you're referring to. And there's also silver basis. There's the silver basis as well, you know. The copper basis and so on. Anything that has a forward mar a futures market or a forward market has a basis. Okay. 
So the base is the difference between the future price and the spot price? Yes. 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 Annualized. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At the correct <coughs> points, as in not just the difference, but with reference to the ask and the bid over here. Okay. And it's not just it's not just splitting hairs. This, if you think this is splitting hairs, then the bid and offer is splitting hairs. <laughs> you know. Okay, so it's not splitting hairs. <laughs> so I have a question: How easy it is to get the quotes? Oh, yeah. some of these around the public domain. Yeah. Some of some of the others you have to infer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I mean, luckily, Comex is quite a liquid market. You know, and. You know, I don't know whether we have time to go into it here, but the correct calculation of gold lease rates, you know, when you look on Kitco, it sometimes has negative lease rates. That's stupid, okay? And there is a, there's been a whole army of, of, of people who talk about uh, negative lease rates and, and what does this mean, when they don't realize it's, it's just because of an error or, or, or something that is overlooked in a calculation, okay? So they will look at, and I'm not going to go into too much detail here, but they will look at something called the gold forward rate minus the LIBOR rate, okay? Now, those two rates are actually calculated. Uh, you get the bullion banks um, and you get the, uh, the commercial banks as well and they give the quotes at which they can borrow money off the market. You take the extremities off and then you take the average of what's left and that's the figure that you see. So the figure that you see might not actually exist, you know, it's not even a median figure, you know. And then so you're taking the difference of two numbers which are average numbers which might not actually represent anyone's true cost. You know, so of course, you know, when you're, when you're looking at the difference of things that are very small, you know, this kind of, this kind of error, this kind of oversight means that you'll have something like negative lease rates. Now, I can calculate exactly what the, the greatest lower bound for the bid lease rate is and the least upper bound for the offer on the lease rate is from the carry and the decarry to get a proper spread on what the gold lease rate bid offer is across different maturities with none of this rubbish of um, negative lease rates coming along you know that is another paper though so that is uh, that is coming up but it's on the back of professor's response to the uh, to this blog which was a, a, a FOFOA. I don't know who they are, you know, but it was a very good blog and then they started bashing the bankers and accusing them of fraud and manipulating the basis, you know. <laughs> now, it's a, very, it's a very erudite set of people who truly know what the basis and the co-basis are saying and if you go through how much they would have uh, spent in order to keep the market in contango, I came up with a number that was almost on par with the amount that's spent so far to prop up the world financial system. So I just think it's unlikely. That's all. You know, it's not. Uh, you know, you need physical gold ultimately to manipulate the basis. You know, 
for extended periods of time. You can't just operate at the futures market. So um, obviously having resource, having sort of gold resources to do that, it, it's not infinite. You know, certainly not infinite. No. Could you perhaps, um, I don't know, picture us the graph of the, of the basis, what perhaps the professor mm. refers like the, this uh, seismograph? Uh, I mean, it never got negative, is, uh, is this correct? Uh, no, well, yeah, the basis, the basis can go negative, it usually does. Okay, so if you look, if you look at the typical sort of evolution. Yeah. So December gold versus December gold. You know, the the basis will be here. <coughs> and the co-basis will be here and what happens is uh, as you go into expiry you roll to the next contract and because you're rolling to the next contract this tends to come down as you approach expiry and this tends to and this tends to come up so this is uh, this is this always happens as you come into expiry, you know. The basis, uh, the co-basis, would tend to rise, and the basis <coughs> will tend to fall because people switch from, and they do it very very. They do it at least thirty days before the actual contract expires. Okay, they start to switch to the next contract. The yeah. exchange rules yeah. force them to yeah. to declare whether they want to take delivery or yeah. they want to roll. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. The exchange rules. <laughs> so that you have to do that. So this is a normal topology. Okay. So what you can say is that if you're coming into expiry but suddenly this starts to happen, you know, that shouldn't be happening. You know, and if that is happening, usually this will be happening as well. Okay, this doesn't always happen. Okay, it's happened. It's very rare. It's very rare. It's happened. It happened twice uh, since I've been doing the service. Once at the peak in uh, last year, at the end of last year, and once at the peak now, when it was at twelve sixty-eight or whatever it was. It started to do this. So it shouldn't do that. So rising positive. It means that people are taking the delivery. Or no, uh, this this mean you get back to. What does that mean? Basically, because because this is it's it's uh, it's it's positive and rising, and negative and falling. It means that you're going from you know. Uh, In the last minute, as it were. Yeah, it means that you go from uh, sort of. You know, back backpedation proper contango. It means that you switch from you know one of these states straight to that, 
and it means that the price is likely to fall. So, big, big uh, new supply. Yeah, or, or, or lack of or lack of purchase of physical or something like that at that oh. price. Yeah, because the last time that this happened was in uh, I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember what report it was November, in. November, December. It was in November, and um, in um, when we reached the, the, the 1268 level, whenever that was, you know, a few months ago, or yeah. whatever that was. May. May, yeah. So th it happened in November and May. So just as everybody else on the planet was saying gold is about to break out and, you know, this is it. Like who's said, who's really responsible for for that, I don't know. Yeah, because is I would it, say... Is it manipulation or is it a natural... I think that it was natural because what would have happened was that gold must have been... Gold must have been climbing. You know. But the actual physical bid for gold was dropping away. So the only people that were actually buying gold were the speculators. Short covering? Short covering or going long. You know, you, you don't know. Um, but the point is that, that if it was doing that, you know, there is for sure, there is no one purchasing physical, you know, as much as they are purchasing futures. Ah, uh, so an explosion in yeah. paper gold. Yeah. Well, that could be manipulated. That could be manipulated, but to me, if you see that happening as the price is rising, you know it's just some fool on Wall Street or some hedge funds, you know, collectively just piling into gold or whatever. And you know that they are very fickle. Yeah. But why would they do it right at expiry? Uh, it just happened to coincide probably. Oh, you know, it, because normally... It's accident. Yeah, you know, it just it was just accident. Oh, that's why it's so rare. Yeah, that's why it's so rare. Because it wouldn't show up that no. drastically if it happened at yeah. the time. You know, it might only show up if it was here, it, it, it might be certainly less obvious, oh, you know. Oh. But because you're coming into expiry, and you know that it has to follow this shape, I call it going against the grain when this happens, because it shouldn't happen, you know. And how does it resolve itself? Uh, this resolved itself by falling a hundred dollars. That's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I was writing calls, as it were. Which was very well predicted by the bullion basis. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you, I mean, that's, that's, it has its uses, you know. And by its very nature, it will tell you, it's more likely to tell you bearish signals than bullish signals. Because the ultimate bullish signal is when, uh, is when the code basis just goes positive and stays positive. And that happens very, very rarely. Even more rarely than this? It's probably uh, equal rarity, actually, at the moment. Mm -hmm. Equal rarity. But I've got no reason to say, assume that that will stay so the same. So, if you want to have a pre-warning of the collapse of the monetary system, this is what you are looking for? This is what I'm looking for, you know. Uh -huh. And, you know, what happened in the expiry as we were rolling from uh, August to December um, was that um, it did go positive, the co-basis went positive, 
you know, which is backwardation. Last year or this year? This year. This is what the, yeah, what the FOFOA blog was talking oh, about. But I said, look, you can't read too much into it because sometimes it does happen as you're coming into expiry. And especially if you've got massive pressure from people rolling from that contract into the next one. You know. And then uh, they tried to compare it to what happened at the end of 2008 when it went into backwardation proper. Because back then, obviously, as you're rolling, the near month might go into backwardation, but the next month sh certainly shouldn't, you know, because you're buying that one. So if both of the months go into backwardation, which is what happened back then, you know, then you can say something, you know, but ad hoc, you know, especially as people are liquidating an expiring contract, you can't really, you can't really say uh, that much. Really. What happens to the um, uh, basis when the uh, core basis goes up? Does the basis confirm that or contradict that or does it really matter? Uh, they can behave independently. Mm -hmm. You know, they, you know, this could start rising and this could just stay flat. So when you said the ultimate signal is the red line going up. Yeah. Would the green line? Oh, yeah, that would be negative. Yeah. If, yeah. if that one also goes negative, negative, that would strengthen the signal, would it? Uh, if this is positive, that has to be negative. Has to be okay. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> good point. Yeah. So, uh, could you could you explain why it never happens, but? The core basis is positive and the basis is... Oh, you, because you get the offer is above the, the bid. Ah, <laughs> you can back it up. I remember you asked that in uh, Canberra as well. Yeah. But if the co-basis is positive, you, the basis will always be negative. So they cross at the same point. The zero level, they both cross at the same uh, they could. Uh, do, uh, if the basis is negative, it doesn't mean that the co-basis is positive, though. Okay, so it's not symmetrical. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if if if, if the, the basis can be negative, you know, you can have this situation. You can have this situation. Like this. You know, and this has no special significance. Uh, no, I mean it, it. It does, but only within the context of other things, though. Mm -hmm. um, but um, that is, it, it's one of the states. You know, mm -hmm. it's one of the states. Um, so the whole uh, basis is a driving seat mm. because if it crosses over, definitely. Could, could you draw another one where the whole basis crosses over yeah. to positive territory, yeah. and then the basis has to immediately fall to negative. To negative, yeah. 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 So it would actually be the fall. Have to cross it zero. Yeah, it'll probably be something like uh, it might. It doesn't need to do it at the same time. It could have done it before, you know. Um, before. Yeah. But not later. Not not later. <laughs> not later. So that's what would happen. Yeah. And, and that is the real, the flashing red light. That's the flashing red light. Yeah. So the co basis 
as Professor just said, is always in the driving seat. At that in this particular scenario. No, but even still, I, I have more, I place more importance on the code base. Oh, really? Yeah. At any time? Uh, not at any time, but just sort of in my head, I always have. Uh, you know, because usually the basis is already negative, you know, 30 days before contract expiry. But this is very rarely, it's never positive, you know. But, you know, so that's why it's sort of, it's more refined from that perspective, you know. And when it's positive, it means you do the uh, reverse cash and carry arbitrage with gold. And well, you could. You could sell spot and buy forward, uh, buy the future for, a, for as long as COMEX doesn't yeah. default. Because because everybody wants to do physical is in demand. Mm. So the market is basically paying you a premium to take the carry off of you, off of you as a private individual. Sandy, sorry. Yeah. When would you? When are you compelled to conclude that this is permanent? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I haven't come to that yet. I don't know. <laughs> because what happens is it comes in, comes out, comes in, comes out. I think it will just come in and come out, and it will just take longer and longer and longer for it to come out again. And then it's up to pedantry as to how you define permanence. You know? <laughs> but, but you can still say something. Because all this means that people will not sell gold. People who have it. Mm -hmm. They, you know, an advance of a hundred dollar in gold price will not make them sell because they mm -hmm. are certain that this is it, that the monetary system is in an advanced state of decay and they just have to hang on and uh, and that's it so if you want to reformulate the question it is well, when will people decide that they should not sell gold at any price that's when it will happen but I mean how can you predict the state of mind of all the people who have physical gold but your best guess is that it will be tested a few times. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the most likely scenario. That it will be tested, and each test will show that it's, the system is, cannot take that much strain, something has to give, and that's bigger. That's, well, I'm sorry to say that we are out of time. And I would love to continue this, but we are not going to miss the boat. <laughs> so on the boat, I think you can continue asking questions. You are coming. Mm -hmm. oh, very so let's continue. It's a long boat, boat trip. You can enjoy the scenery and also the intellectual challenge. Is there also a possibility to eat on the boat? I am I'm, I'm going to yeah, because I don't think. No, no, to, to eat on the boat. Eat on the boat? Mm -hmm. I, I doubt it. Mm -hmm. So you better take advantage of 